I'm going to be reading a scripture before we get into today's word. Uh, it'll be on the screens beside me. Uh, it comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. It says, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I'll send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Uh, Lord, uh, as we have so many things on our minds and in our hearts, uh, God, let us tune our hearts and our minds to be where you are. Bless us in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Morning, Renaissance. My name is Aswan. I'm one of the pastors here. Got a story that I read. Um, it's a story about uh, Albert Einstein. Uh, there was a time when he was boarding a train and... He was clearly going up and down the aisles looking for something. And there was a, a worker on the train who was enjoying the scenery and saw him going up and down the aisles looking for something, walks over politely and says, Dr. Einstein, what, you know, what are you looking for? And Dr. Einstein says, I'm looking for my ticket. I can't find it. Uh, and so he, he kind of waves him off and says, Dr. Einstein, don't, don't worry about it. Like, Everybody on the train is going to know who you are. There's no one that's going to think that you were scamming your way. I mean, everybody knows who you are. Look at the hair. Like, people know who you are. And so he kind of brushes that off. Um, he goes back, and he's continuing uh, to put his hands in the seats, and he's, he's looking uh, to find this ticket. And so the worker at this time is just watching him. And he gets to the point after maybe several minutes or so, and he said he kind of puts his hand on Dr. Einstein's shoulder and says, listen, look, you don't have to continue to look for this ticket. You are good. Everybody knows who you are. And Dr. Einstein turns back to him, and he says this very quickly. Sir, it's not that I don't know who I am. I'm looking for my ticket because I have no clue of where I'm going. And this story, this story fundamentally draws out two questions that every human born on the face of the earth is wrestling with. Who am I and where is my life headed? Or to say it another way, all of us have two questions embedded somewhere in our soul that we will spend the rest of our lives answering the question of identity and the question of direction. Who am I? What was I created for? What's my purpose? Where is the train of my life headed? Wouldn't it be tragic if you spent your entire life headed in one direction to only realize that that direction was the wrong way? One of my biggest fears is that I will spend an enormous amount of energy. Like I would put the weight of, of, of my world pulling my life in a direction only to realize it didn't matter. Only to realize I was headed and pointed in the wrong direction the whole time. In scripture, we actually get our ticket. And this ticket, our ticket tells us what the direction of our life should be. Our lives should be pointed toward following Jesus. Listen to this in Mark 1. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, 
for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. See, all throughout Scripture, we see uh, when Jesus meets someone, the first thing he says to them is, follow me. And, and there are two major reasons why Jesus does that. Because we don't know where we're going, but he does. See, see, that's the truth of this statement. The truth of this statement is that you and I, we don't know what the direction of our life is. We might have plans. Uh, we might, even some of us might be dreaming and strategizing. And if, if you're a, a strategist like me, man, I'm trying to put some things in place to, to control the direction of my life. But here's the reality that I have to live in, and I hope you do as well. I don't know where I'm going. But here's also a truth. I don't need to know where I'm going. I don't need to know the next step of my life. I don't need to know the next big thing that's there for me. I don't need to know those things. Why? Because Jesus knows where I'm going. Jesus knows the direction of my life. And when he says, come and follow me, he's saying, you don't know where you're going, but I do. Here's the the, the implication of that statement that, that I would try to internalize, and hopefully you will as well. See, I have a real situation right now, so I, I don't want this to just to be something I'm talking to you. I'm talking with you. Right now, I have four kids. I think that's still true. I have, I have four kids. I have a wife and, and a mother-in-law. Well, I mean, that's a good thing. She's great. She's here. I didn't want y'all to take that, you know. Anyway, I, mother-in-law, I love you if you're in here. But the reality is we live in a two-bedroom, and uh, we need more space. She sold her house in Buffalo, and she's like, yo, I'm coming to New York. What's up? And she's actually here, like, looking for apartments. She's, like, currently here. And here's the truth about this statement. For me, that causes so much anxiety. You know why? I don't know how I'm going to get us a bigger apartment. I don't know, I don't have the resources or the relationship with people just to say, hey, yo, my mother-in-law just moved here. I need you to hook her up. I don't have that. I don't know what's going to happen. I know it needs to happen, but I really don't know how it's going to happen. And seriously, I want to cry. I'm laughing to keep the tears away. I really don't know how that's going to happen, but I know it must. And here's the truth about this statement. When I truly rest in the fact that I don't know where I'm going, but Jesus does. He knows the direction of my life. He's fully in control, and I can trust that. Then I would be less anxious. Listen to this scripture in Revelations. It says this, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And I think that has an implication on every one of our lives, that, that when Jesus says, come, follow me, he's saying, you don't know where you are going, but I do. What's your anxiety level like today? What's keeping you up at night? Is it your career? Is it that relationship you've been seeking? What, what, what thing is is, is, is holding you hostage. What's your anxiety level like today? Man, I believe when we rest our heart on those two truths, that Jesus knows the direction of our lives and we can, and he knows where we're going, 
man, we'll be okay. See, the direction of your life is to be following Jesus. The direction of my life is to follow Jesus. And that's called discipleship, living and growing as a follower of Jesus. And, and it's, Renaissance, it's one of Renaissance's core values for the, la- for the next five weeks. And we started last week, and today is week two. Um, we will be talking about the values, the things that make Renaissance Renaissance. And discipleship is the the value that we're going to focus on today. And all five of them become the thing that we hang our hat on as a church. And if you were to take any one of them away, it's kind of like taking uh, a single black woman out of a Tyler Perry movie, right? Like, what what do you have, right? But it's, these are the things that we want to hang our hat on. And discipleship will be our discussion this morning. So you may have been around Christian circles, and you may have heard the word discipleship. And, and maybe you've thought that there was some robust definition. I want to give us a very simple way to think through discipleship this morning. And it's discipleship is the process of living and growing as a follower of Jesus. Living and growing as a follower of Jesus. As you can see, uh, it, the root word in there is disciple, and, and a disciple is just a follower. And, and disciple is not a new concept. We see uh, the, the concept of being a disciple all throughout the scriptures, and, and, and we see it all in an ancient civilization. Um, if you, most prominent leaders and most religious figureheads had disciples, and here's how it would work in Jewish culture. Uh, if, if you were 13, about to turn 14, and you decided, hey, I want to get into the religious field, I want to be a scribe, or I want to be someone who works in the temple, there was no, like, program for you to step into and follow. There was no church plant program. There was nothing you can do. You literally had to pack all your stuff, and at, at 13 or 14, you had to pack all your stuff and literally move in with the person uh, that you were going to be a disciple of. You literally had to uproot your life and now follow and do everything that, that your, your teacher did, say everything that your teacher said, be every place that your, your teacher was. Um, that was the nature of discipleship. And so it should be no coincidence that Jesus, a prominent figure, uh, had disciples. Now, just so we're clear, if you claim to be a Christian, you are saying you are following Jesus. Listen to this verse, uh, Acts eleven twenty six. 26. It says this, so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first, at Antioch. It's the first time uh, this term Christian was introduced. So disciple and Christian are synonymous. So the question is, to all my Christians in the room, the question is this, are you really following Jesus? Are you, are you talking about Jesus? Are you acting like you're following Jesus? Here's the real question this morning. Are you following Jesus, because to be a Christian means you're a disciple. To be a disciple means you're a follower. Is the train of your life hitched upon Jesus's life in such a way that his direction is your direction? I think about it this way. Axel has some really cool uh, wooden trains that he loves, uh, and they have magnets on them. 
And when he puts them together, he kind of gets them in a row. And he loves to pull the first train and he loves to pull it around his track as all the other trains are connected. And here's my question to you. Are your magnets, is your magnet really connected to Jesus? Is, is, as he is moving as that first train, are you moving right along with him? And man, how do, how do we know? Here's a question that, that I would ask us this morning. How do we know? How do you know? Maybe you're asking that today. Let's look at what it looked like in the lives of disciples in the book of Mark. Let me read this scripture again. Mark 1, come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets, and they followed him. See, I think a great way to to know if we're disciples is to look at these three things. This scripture helps us with these three things. First, uh, Jesus confronts us. There is a confrontation. Jesus says, come, follow me. And yes, it's a real confrontation. When Jesus steps onto the scene, he's saying that he is a compassionate, loving leader that says, I am not going to let you continue to walk astray and walk in this obscurity. I'm going to confront you and say, come, follow me. I think about how love has confronted me. I think about my wife and my kids and how I love them. And every day, love confronts me with the question, how am I going to care for them? How am I speaking to them when I'm upset? And I think, I think there's times when some of us may think that when Jesus enters our lives uh, and when Jesus confronts us, that, that uh, he's only asking us to be a little bit nicer. Maybe if I just curse less. Maybe Jesus is saying I should should curse less. Maybe I shouldn't read those blogs. Maybe my guilty pleasure of watching The Walking Dead. Maybe I should stop doing that. But, but there's a real confrontation that happens when Jesus is saying, come, follow me. He's calling you away from the current status that you're in, and he's saying, come, follow me. Here's the second way. There's a reorientation. <clears throat> you see in the text, Jesus says, uh, I will send you out to fish for people. And you know what's cool? They already knew how to fish. They already knew what fishing was like. And Jesus is saying, look, I don't call you to dress different or, or talk different or um, to even go to brunch, you know, every Sunday. I'm not, I'm not calling you to these, to these things. What I'm actually asking you to do is reorient your life around me now. And now, instead of uh, fishing for fish, I want you to fish for people. And Jesus says, in this journey, I'm going to teach you what that looks like. I'm going to show you what the new rod is to use. I'm going to show you what the new bait is to use. But you have to reorient your life around me. And that's what he was asking Simon and his friends to do, to reorient their lives. And I think that's what Jesus is asking the disciple for your life to be reoriented around the things that Jesus says are important. The, Jesus, the things that Jesus wants to say to people. The way that Jesus wants to treat and talk to people. And third, you get a new set of priorities. I love how in verse 18 it says, they left their nets. Here's a question. What are your priorities right now? 
What's on your to-do list right now? Is it, is it to reach a, so, a certain level of income? Is it to uh, establish a, a certain number of followers on social media? That's kind of mine. Maybe that's not yours. I'm going to be honest. I need a couple more to get, you know, trying to get certified. Yo, yeah, that little check, right? You know what I'm talking about. But here's the reality. What, what are your priorities right now? What's on the top of your to-do list? <laughs> and here's what Jesus says to the disciple. What's ever on the top of your to-do list, I want you to abandon it. I want you to leave it there and come and follow me. The scripture says they left their nets to follow him. They didn't know where they were going. Jesus didn't give them a destination. He didn't even articulate what, uh, what the path was going to even look like. He just said, come, follow me. And they stopped. They dropped their nets to follow him. There's a, for, the, for the disciple, there's a whole new set of priorities that you need to be focused on. And here's what you need to know. Discipleship is living and growing as a follower of Jesus. And this confrontation and this reorientation and this new setting of priorities happens over and over and over again. That's the beauty. You don't have to know it all right now. You just have to know the one who does. (laughs) But let's be honest, it's hard to follow it's hard. Man, I remember in the fourth grade uh, when you, you line up to, to go uh, to, to, like, if you're going to gym or you're going to another class and, and you go by last names, and my name is Morris, so I'm kind of in the middle. But, you know, I know you would never think this. I was kind of short when I was younger. I know, I know you would never think that. But being in the middle, if I had taller people in front of me or behind me, so to just follow them and not see where I'm going, oftentimes I would step to the side, I'd get in trouble, and I'd try to step to this side. It is hard to follow. And I think there's some real reasons for us for why it's hard for the disciple to follow Jesus. It's a simple concept, but very hard to do. Here's one. We can't see God. You can't see God. What Jesus is asking the disciple to do is hang the entirety of your life on a God that you can't physically see. That's the discipleship process, and it's hard. No one woke up this morning uh, with uh, an angel that was sitting at your bedside telling you exactly what was going to happen. You don't wake up uh, in the midst of looking for a new job or trying to find a home or desiring to be in a relationship with with an angel saying, hey, let me tell you exactly how this is going to play out. And it's difficult because we can't physically see God. Here's number two. It's hard to trust Jesus's leadership. And let's be honest, man, when I first became a Christian, I'm going to be very honest here. Some of the questions that I asked internally, maybe not externally, but internally I was asking myself, Jesus, are you really sure this is the way? Are you, are you really sure this is the way I should be going? Are, are you, can I really trust that you know what's best for my life? And if we were to be honest, we're, we find those places, and it's really hard to just trust in Jesus' leadership. Again, the, the disciple is asked by Jesus to take the, the entirety of our lives and hang it on Jesus, even though we don't know where we're going. But the truth is, you don't have to. He does. 
but it's hard. And here's the last one, and I think this is probably the major one, uh, at least in my book and in some circles. Uh, they call this last one fallen nature. And, and let me describe fallen nature in this way. It's a, it's a really uh, simple thing that I had to try to uh, wrap my mind around. Uh, fallen nature is, is kind of like my soul being set on rebellion. It's kind of like I'm my son Axel. <laughs> I'm always just going to disobey just to disobey. And the Bible calls that sin. The Bible says that uh, we, uh, the easiest way to understand sin is that people tell God, we can do your job better than you can. That ultimately is what sin is. And, and we have this default setting deep in our souls that says, I'm always going to choose disobedience. I'm always going to go and do the opposite of what I'm supposed to do as a follower of Jesus. Amen. And these are the things that makes following Jesus hard. <laughs> but hey, we don't have to fret. We don't have to worry. Um, we, we don't have to take Jesus's commands and his confrontation and feel like there's no hope. Listen to the scripture in Hebrews. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, Jesus undoes the power that the falling nature has over our lives by, uh, by getting up on the cross and, and paying a death that he did not owe on our behalf. Jesus is saying, man, I've done the heavy, heavy lifting. So you know what? Even though you can't see God, you can trust my leadership because I'm the kind of leader that will do. I will empty everything just to make sure you have what you need. That's the kind of leader I want to follow. He gets up on the cross. He says, everything needed to bring you back in right relationship with God, I'm going to do. And then he, he offers to the disciple, he says, come, follow me. You can trust my leadership. I know you don't know where you're going, but come, follow me. I know the destination of your life, and I promise I will get you there safely. It's not going to be easy, but I promise I won't lose you. I'll get you there. That's the call to the disciple. And so maybe today you're saying, Aswan, hey, give me some practical things. How do I live and grow as a follower of Jesus? And look, even if you feel uh, you're perfect and, and you, you don't do a whole lot of bad, I'm saying, man, today there are some practical ways that you can learn how to follow, grow, and, and, and follow Jesus. But I want to give us a little framework. Here's one. It doesn't happen overnight. And to my type A people that are measuring where they are right now and where they should be, and you're saying there's a big chasm between those two, and there's shame and pain happening on the inside, I want you to release yourself from that and know it doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. It's a process, and Jesus is cheering you on in the process. Jesus knows that it's a process, and he's saying, come Follow me. It takes time. Think about it like this. There are giants in the Bible. There's people like Moses, who
who's a prominent figure in the Christian faith. And, and Moses needed 40 years of preparation before he stepped into leadership. David, one of the, the, the greatest kings that the people of Israel will ever know, he needed time to be prepared. There was a king uh, before him. And that king was trying to kill him. And for 14 years, God told him, you can't kill him. You are in a place of preparation until it's time for you to take your rightful place in leadership. And even Jesus, Jesus had to live in this obscure place because it was customary to start public ministry at the age of 30. And Jesus, the God of the universe, had to be in this really weird place in preparation for when it was time to take his place in leadership and the same for the disciple. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. Greatness is forged through preparation, and preparation takes time. Here's another part of the framework I want you to get. Uh, you and I, we need to simply learn how to obey Jesus in every aspect of our life. And that's a real thing. We can't compartmentalize our faith. We can't say, hey, I go to church. I take advantage of all the social benefits but I'm not really following Jesus. When is the last time you've done something that the Bible actually said for you to do, but it was something that you didn't like or it was something that wasn't fun? When's, when's the last time, because the Bible says pray for your enemies, that you actually sat down and thought about your enemies and prayed for them? When's the last time you actually evaluated, hey, you know what, I've, there's some friends that I have that I haven't talked to for a long time, and you know why? Because they did me wrong, and I'm, I have the rightful position. But if it takes two to tango, then at some point, you have to evaluate your own part in that relationship. When's the last time you said, you know what, I've been so stubborn in this relationship. I need to go back and apologize for, for what I can hold myself accountable for in that relationship. When's the last time, as Christians, you've done something just because the Bible says to do it? We need to learn obedience in every aspect of our life. But yes, for our type A people, here's something that I, I think uh, is, is really true about what you can do to grow in your relationship, if, uh, to, to live and grow in following Jesus. You can get in line and you can find people who are headed on the same direction as you. Get in a community of people uh, who are grow living and growing as followers of Jesus and be around them and hang out. And I, I remember back in school, back kind of like probably like in middle school, middle school was, was my year, you know what I'm saying? And I remember in middle school, I was trying to show that I was intelligent. In, in New York, we have these, like, rainbow programs or these, like, advanced programs. I was trying to show that I belonged in this program. So I would sit next to the people who I thought were really good students. They were on the trajectory. Don't laugh because you think I was cheating. I wasn't cheating, okay? I didn't sit next to them during test time only. But I surrounded myself with, with friends of mine who I thought were really good students, and and our hope at Renaissance is that you would see our community groups as a place where you could surround yourself with people who are on the same trajectory as you. No one in the group knows where they're going. No one in the group has to know because Jesus is leading the charge. 
And all he's saying is, come and follow me. And you are in close proximity with people who also believe that that's true, and you guys are trying to live that out together. And, and, and maybe you've, you've gotten our emails October 1st, our community groups start. You can sign up at renaissancenyc.com if you need to jump into one. And, and, and maybe if it's not a community group, man, you got to find here uh, it, with, this, with people that are looking to do the same thing that you're looking to do, to live and grow as a follower of Jesus. And hey, I want to close with this. Even in that process, there may be a laundry list of things you feel like you could do. But here's the key to discipleship that I want you to walk away with. Discipleship is obedience to the next step. And so in that group, I don't want that group, and I don't want you to sit around and think about all the things you could do, but what's the, what's the next thing that God is asking you to do? Is it to give more generously? Maybe. Maybe that's the next step for you. I don't know. And, and maybe you feel like you do all the good stuff. You do, you do everything you're supposed to do. You come to church, you read. But, but maybe there's somebody you really just haven't forgiven. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a, it's a friend. Maybe it's a cousin. I don't know. But what is the next step that Jesus is asking of you? Because I truly believe for everyone in here, there is a next step. And discipleship is obedience to that next step. Man, here's the truth. Discipleship is living and growing as a follower of Jesus. And Jesus says, come, follow me. You don't know where you're going, but I do. Let me pray. Daddy, thank you so much for the truth that our train is headed in a direction. And you are calling us to come to you because we are sitting on that train chilling. And you want us to to care and to know that you have the direction carved out for our lives. And God, all you are asking is for us to come, be in proximity to you, and follow you. God, let us push past all the hard things, all the things in our heart uh, that could keep us from that. But today, let us embark on the discipleship process, knowing that you are at the helm. In Jesus' name, amen.